I was so glad to have the opportunity of meeting Kristen and Chris for an Orange Socks interview. Their baby Ethan had trisomy 9, and he defied medical knowledge by being born alive. Kristen and Chris were encouraged multiple times to abort the pregnancy, but they chose to have Ethan, who lived 93 minutes. They are deeply religious people. Kristen and Chris's faith has helped them put the life and death of Ethan into a divine perspective. Although his life was very short, Ethan made a profound impact. I really appreciate you meeting with me. It's an honor to, to, to meet with you. So Kristen, tell me, when did you find out that your son had issues? Yeah, so when I was 20 weeks pregnant, we went in for our anatomy scan. And at the time, we just thought we were going to find out the gender. I mean, we knew that they were gonna tell us more than whether our baby was a boy or girl, but that was what I was excited about. And that's what I was really looking forward to finding out. And we actually did not find out right away. And in hindsight, I it makes sense to me that the technician left for a while and said, go ahead and go get your husband now and I'll let you guys know the sex of the baby. And so I went and he came back in and we probably sat there for 20 minutes while she didn't come back. And then when she came back, it was kind of rushed of, oh, it's a boy, look, there it is. Okay, great, you're done. But at the time, I mean, we were just so excited. I didn't think anything weird of the fact that she disappeared for so long. That was on a Friday. We got a call the following Monday from our doctor asking if we would come in as soon as possible to discuss the ultrasound. And we were so worried because they wouldn't tell us why they needed to see us. At the time, actually, they didn't even say we need to discuss the ultrasound. They said, we just, you need to meet with a geneticist. And I was asking them questions. Is this something everybody does? Or is this just something that we've been chosen to do for some reason? And they said, we really can't tell you much over the phone. So you just need to come home. We were on a family reunion in Las Vegas, actually. So, which is about a three hour drive from us. So we ended up calling back and asking if they recommended that we drive home and they said yes. So now we're really freaking out because they won't tell us anything over the phone. So the next morning, we, we had drove back, driven back the night before. The next morning we met with the doctor and they sat us down and they told us at the time that they had noticed a lot of abnormalities with our baby and the ultrasound. One of the things they noticed was that his brain was missing the cerebellar vermis. So the back of his brain just wasn't formed and it wasn't there. They also noticed that his heart didn't look right and the geneticist couldn't quite pinpoint what was wrong with the heart. It just didn't look normal. And they noticed that he seemed to be growing a little slower than normal. And so they wanted us to meet with a specialist to do another ultrasound so that they could see him in real time just in case the pictures just weren't clear. So the specialist met with us, looked at our baby again. And at the time, they she was able to point out and confirm, yes, actually I am seeing that you know, he does have um, some fluid buildup in his brain so he has hydrocephalus he is missing part of his brain and his heart doesn't look normal but I can't pinpoint what it is so you're gonna need to see another specialist and a cardiologist to look at this closer so it all was just a big shock that's not what we had any idea that we were walking into but you didn't have a diagnosis at that point we didn't at that point okay so our diagnosis actually did not come until after our son was born hmm. so the journey to that, we were offered choices to find out ahead of time, and our doctors kept telling us over and over, because we saw a lot of specialists, and they kept telling us, this, this doesn't look good, we have a feeling there's some sort of chromosomal abnormality, and there's something else going on, and you're probably looking either at severe mental and or physical disabilities for the rest of his life, or possibly death. So they kept asking us, are you sure this is something you're ready for? And I think that's a silly question because I don't think you're ever ready for that, but 
we knew that we didn't want to take any chances with him because we, we knew we wanted him. And so they offered me the amniocentesis test, which would take some of the cells and, you know, through the uterus, they would take a needle and take some of its cells and do testing on those. But they kept warning me that, you know, the risks are really small, but it does raise a risk of potentially losing your baby or going into labor early. And at that point, I was 20 weeks pregnant the first time they offered it to me, and they were offering it to me all the way up to like 27 weeks or so. And I had a lot of extra amniotic fluid, and I was sure that if they poked me that I would probably go into labor early. And so we kept asking, will having a diagnosis now make a difference in how you treat him? And all the doctors told us, it won't make a difference at this point, but it'll help you know how to prepare. And as much as we wanted to know, we figured we'll just wait till after he's born if you can do the same tests. So they did the test after he was born and so it wasn't until after everything happened that they told us that he had trisomy 9, which is, it comes in various forms and in the partial and mosaic version of it where it's not in all of your cells, some of those babies can survive and, but with the full version, they rarely make it even to delivery. So he really, defied a lot of odds even making it that far. <laughs> so Chris, what were some of what was going on in your mind when you got this initial diagnosis of that you had a you were having your wife was carrying a baby that had some issues. So what were you thinking? Uh, at first I thought, well, this kind of makes sense because I've gone through some different things in my own life before meeting Kristen where different obstacles came up and it just seemed to be another thing where it was like, hey, well, this is what's being given to me, so you, you need to figure it out now. But the cool thing is having a relationship with God has been a huge thing in all of it because even growing up, the relationship with Him is what got me through all those different obstacles. So I found comfort in knowing that, hey, even though this is going on, God is with us in all of it. But it was still scary because you're hearing different people tell you that with their baby, the doctors told them that things were looking not so good for the baby, but then the baby was born and it didn't have any problems. So the doctors were wrong. So you're thinking that side of it, well, maybe the doctors don't know. That could happen, but maybe they are onto something. And if so, you know, we'll be okay with it. We just have to figure it out. So that was the initial thought process. Uh, I, I think I was a little bit more calm than she was. She was very, uh, she was crying a lot and that's fine, that's natural. And it wasn't until I started reading more about suffering in this life and the things that we go through, but knowing that it's for a reason, that started me to cry as well because it just really brought it back full circle of knowing how Jesus suffered on the cross and how our suffering isn't much compared to what he went through, but also knowing that, hey, you know, he understands because he suffered and we suffer with him. So, but it's for, you know, a purpose and there's joy in it, which sounds crazy that there can be joy in suffering. So that, I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it does. I was just interested in what was going through your mind at the time. What type of advice were the physicians giving you? Because often what I'm what I'm learning is that oftentimes the physician will, when there's something wrong, will, will encourage the termination of the pregnancy or they will advise that way or they'll strongly or not so strongly, depending on the physician. Did, did they approach you with that at all? Or I think every doctor we met with 
encouraged us at one point or another to terminate our son. We had one doctor who was the main specialist that we met with fairly regularly throughout the pregnancy, and she only offered it, I believe, a few times in the first appointment, but I think she caught on pretty quickly that that wasn't something we were interested in. But given Ethan's condition, we did meet with multiple specialists, and every single time we met somebody new, that was one of the first things that they offered. and they oftentimes would say something along the lines of, are you sure you're ready for this? This is gonna be a lot on you and you're a young couple and you know you have your whole life ahead of you and are you sure that you're equipped and ready to have a child that may have special needs or may have a lot of physical needs and you know may have poor health? And it seemed like a weird question because I don't think that we were anybody's ever ready and I, I don't think you can prepare yourself for something like that, but we knew that we wanted him even though it was it was scary and but everybody continually offered that to us over and over and you obviously didn't you, you you had the baby and you need to know and probably this is not the first time you've heard this but you named him Ethan and that uh, he's the first person I've ever heard of with trisomy 9 that lived through a, a delivering was born alive yeah well Something really interesting, if you don't mind me adding to that. So even the doctor who delivered Ethan told us the same thing. After Ethan was born, we sat down with the doctor and with the geneticist and I believe with somebody else. And we sat down and they were gonna talk to us about the results of the testing that we had done on him. That person was uh, kind of like a care person that the, the hospital provides, kind of as a- Like a social worker? Maybe like a social like worker, a social worker. Too. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah. And there were a few people in there and I remember the doctor was in there too, the NICU doctor who yeah. cared for him. And she, we were asking a lot of questions, you know, what are the odds of this happening again? And is this something we potentially carry? And you know, how common is it that you've seen this? And I remember she just looked at us and said, I've never in all my years seen a baby born with trisomy nine, ever. Which is amazing that even within the medical field and somebody who's worked in a hospital for years delivering babies every single day, she had never heard of a baby being born alive with trisomy 9. And a lot of our doctors told us, you know, this baby should have been miscarried really early on. And they kept using the word should have, which seemed ironic because he, he didn't. He, he fought till the end, but everybody told us. And that was part of their argument too for, for encouraging us to terminate was that they would tell us, well, these babies don't make it far. He's, he's not gonna survive delivery. These babies are usually miscarried within the first few weeks before you even know you're pregnant. It's a miracle you're even this far. You know, you'd be doing everybody a favor just to end it now. But yeah, it's amazing how rare it is and it makes you feel even more alone. But it's incredible too that he you know, really was a miracle despite all of the challenges that came with it. So he was delivered, yes. Chris, and um, what were your thoughts when this little baby came into the world? Well, it happened so fast because when her water broke and we went to the hospital, we knew she was in labor when we got there and they had you know, talked with her and they were trying to kind of keep him in as long as they could to, to, to get us to uh, Kaiser Sunset for the delivery. But the next morning on Sunday morning, they had realized that he was breached so they said, you're gonna have this baby now. And they gave me scrubs to put on and they said that they were gonna perform an emergency C-section on her. So 
I think we looked at each other a couple of times. I don't know if we said anything to each other, but it I remember putting so putting the scrubs on and she got wheeled out to the room where they were gonna prepare her. And they had told me to wait for a little bit. So I waited and then it wasn't too long after I was able to go in that room with her and they had a kind of a curtain over the front of her to perform the C-section. And so right then we prayed together and as soon as we were done they had gotten him out and so it was like it just seemed really fast I, I was thinking it was gonna take longer um, but they're like it's a girl and we're like we looked at each other what like, oh no no it's a boy like, oh okay Oof. so kind of you know humorous at that moment and then uh, he was so small and they brought him over to the incubator and I was just like, is that our baby? Because I was so in shock that it was just that fast. And so they brought him over there and they were performing compressions on him and giving him oxygen. And so I got up to go over there and they're like, uh, yeah, dad, do you want to hold him? And I said, yeah. So I went to go get some gloves on the wall and they're like, oh no, no, you don't need the gloves. He's yours. Cause so they all like, oh. had gloves on. Yeah. <laughs> so I just thought I needed gloves too. So. I put my fi my finger in his hand and he was kind of holding it uh, and then they continued to work on him. So it was cool to be able to be there initially with him when she was there, but she couldn't be right there. And then it was really sad after they had said, you know, that there's nothing they could do to uh, keep him alive. So they allowed us to spend some time with him and she got to hold him on her chest and both of us got to hold him in our arms. And so it was really good, but just sad. Just sad and unexpected. Even though we knew that it was a possibility, it's just when it hits, it's hard so I'm glad that her and I got to spend some time with him um, just the two of us and then have our other family members come in and spend some time with him too but definitely a different experience than what you would normally see I guess so what were your thoughts at this time so he, he was born alive and he lived mm -hmm. for a period of time how long yeah. did he live he lived for 93 minutes so 93 minutes okay so what were your thoughts uh, during that time obviously they were working with him and yeah but so the whole time they were working on him I I mean was relieved he was finally here um, I was also terrified and I kept asking Chris, you know, can you see him? Is he responding? Is he moving? What is he doing? Because he didn't cry and I think he was just really weak when he was born. But Chris was over there with him and it made me feel just so much more peace and relief knowing that his dad was with him and Chris was holding his hand and I could hear Chris talking to him. And um, But I was really, really scared and didn't, didn't know what to expect and I was just praying that our baby wouldn't die. And then I remember the doctor came up to me at one point and told me, I'm really sorry, but there's nothing we can do. And she walked away and she said it so calmly that after she left, I didn't know if she, I didn't know, I couldn't comprehend that that is what she had just said. Cause she just so straight faced, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. And then turned around and walked away. And so in my mind, I was like, wait, does that mean does that mean he's already gone? Does that mean they're, they're gonna stop working on him? What, is, what does this mean? And everything just felt so foggy in the midst of like just having had this baby and the rush of you know laboring him to this quick, we're gonna transport you to Kaiser in LA. Oh, never mind, he's here and we need to get him out now. And so it was just a lot of fear, I think in that moment, but the moment they 
handed him to me. I, I remember people telling me the whole time I was pregnant that, you know, when you, even before I was ever pregnant, the moms would always say, you know, the first time you see that baby, you're gonna forget all the pain that you went through in labor. You're gonna forget all of that. It's gonna all fade away the moment you look upon that baby's face. And I really found that to be true the moment that they gave him to me. And it wasn't just the physical pain of having labored him. It was also all of the emotional pain and all of the mental pain and just all of the different types of pain that we had gone through in the weeks leading up to his birth. It was like I forgot about it all the first time I saw him because he was just perfect. Even with all of his imperfections in the eyes of, you know, medical staff and the little, you know, the little anomalies that you know, the nurse pointed out to me later that, you know, you you don't see all that when they hand you your baby. You just see this perfect little thing that, you know, has his dad's hair and, you know, my nose and, you know, all these little things you just see, you know, when you look at him. And so as much as the moments leading up to his birth and right after he was born were filled with so much fear, it was like it all just went away the moment I saw him. So what kind of effect has that little life had on you two and on your immediate families. I assume that, that some of your folks were there and were able to come in and hold him to or see him at any rate. So what, what kind of effect did he have? You, you can go first, Chris. Well, it brought some family members who maybe weren't as close, closer together to us. As an example, my cousin had a son at around the same time who is currently alive today and they were told that he didn't have any problems going through the pregnancy and then he was born with a few different health complications. So I've gotten to talk to her and her husband and been able to kind of relate on that level. But as far as Ethan himself, it was really amazing to see how when we had a service for him, we invited anyone that wanted to come and it was at our church and there were a ton of people there. I mean, it was incredible. It, it made you, it made me think, man, I hope that I can leave the type of legacy he left and the type of impact he left because there were so many people there, coworkers, family, friends, people that we wouldn't have even thought to have shown up, showed up. Um, and so we were thankful for that, that through his life and his death, uh, we were able to share his story with those people. Do you yeah. have anything to add to that? I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said looking out at the crowd at his memorial service, like, we just kept saying like, if half, if, if a quarter of this many people come to my memorial or my funeral one day, that would be considered like, wow, like I really left an impact or people really, you know, were, were touched by my life. And I think we had nearly 400 people there. and. Just the people who we've been able to talk to since losing Ethan, and I know Chris has mentioned a few times that our faith is really important to us, and we've had so many people ask us questions about our faith because of our story, and people have asked us just a lot of different questions about like life and suffering, and a few other things that I've been able to do also is I write a lot and I blog, and I've had so many people reach out to me who have either lost babies or are in similar situations. And I have like a handful of people who now I consider my close friends who, you know, I've walked through their pregnancies with them. And then, you know, even if it's through Skype or, you know, video chat or now, now thanks to technology, you can have friends who are in Texas and, you know, Illinois 
in Indiana and like all over the U.S. who have, you know, maybe it's a completely different diagnosis, but they've had a child with, you know, a diagnosis that was really scary at the time and just the friendships that have come out of it. Um, last fall, I had the opportunity to speak at a bereaved parents workshop for people who had lost young children and I got to be a part of helping plan it and then speaking at it and it was in the Midwest and I got to go out there and just love on these families who had been through similar things as us. And, and it's not like we have all the answers or anything. I mean, we just, this fell into our lap, but just having somebody sit with you and walk with you who gets it, even if they don't get every single detail, they understand some of it, is so powerful. And it's been an honor to be able to walk through this with some other families that we've met. And so I just think of the friendships we've met. I think of the people who have come to me when they've been at different stages of their pregnancies and have asked questions and just thinking how many lives Ethan has touched and the lives Ethan has saved and just, it's really, really incredible. And I think about him all the time and we often say like, we're proud parents, even though he's not here. I'm so proud of him. And I just feel like a proud mama over just the ways that he's touched people's lives, even in the short 93 minutes that he was here. So let me ask you this as a final question. You had a scary pregnancy. You had fairly early on, you knew something was wrong, something was amiss. You had multiple doctors. In fact, every doctor that you saw was mentioning termination of the pregnancy for various reasons. You went through an entire pregnancy. You had the baby. The baby lived 90, three minutes. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Was it worth it, Chris? Yes, absolutely. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you.